Welcome, everybody, to After Further Review with Mark Ferrer and John Pelkey. Take two of show number 12. Join Mark in just a minute, but uh, apologies to everybody for our last episode. Uh, we had some technical issues. We weren't able to get that episode up. Luckily, we put together what we feel will be a, an even better episode after the rehearsal show. Derek Abbott, football coach at the Coast Guard Academy, former college quarterback, is rejoining us to talk a little about post-draft stuff, free agency, trades, what's going on in the National Football League. We're also going to talk about some of the program, uh, the uh, the proposals for starting Major League Baseball again, inclu- including this two-month March Madnessy type thing, Mark Ferreira, that while it's not optimal for baseball, holy crap, two months of baseball where every game means something would be amazing. I can't wait to talk about that, Johnny. can't That's wait right. to talk about that. Also, a co- couple of interesting things, baseball-wise and otherwise, in this day in sports history. We have our progressive trivia and, uh, you know, whatever else pops up. For, well, uh, I'll tell you what, what, what just popped up this morning with me. <laughs> that sounds weird. Oh, but, uh, really? No, no, hang on. All right, hold I, on, I hold on. Uh, the at clock this advanced is age, here. it's noteworthy, you know what I mean? If you had no, one kidding. minute and 29 seconds <laughs> before this show went horribly off the rails and inappropriate, I'm, you win. I'm kidding. I had the under uh, on that, by the way. I read, I read, <laughs> I read an article where— Tell uh, me, Mark, what popped up for you this morning? An article about Isaiah Thomas that followed up on the Jordan uh, interview that he had uh, during the, uh, the the last dance. And he says that uh, he felt like Jordan was really the fourth best player that he played against behind Kareem, Magic, and Bird. There is no love lost between Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan. That's for darn sure. Also, Isaiah made a, this weird comment about, you know, since 1991 handshake snub that he feels that he's been uh, it's negatively affected him. I don't know, Isaiah, is that why you destroyed an entire sports league and you, you've been nothing but a nightmare as a as a as a. As a uh, uh, in everything you've done since basketball, I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't know about everything he's done. Everything I, mean, I he's know done. he didn't it's do much with the Knicks, everything. but James it's Dolan is really the reason for that. I would say. Yeah. Well. Anyway, but Isaiah's had a, had his struggles post NBA. I just, uh, as a player, I just didn't understand. I didn't even remember the handshake snub. So I'm not sure why he thinks he's still paying for it. And at, also, at any- he he made a good point though when he when he said, "Wait a minute, that's not true." The Celtics walked off the floor when we beat them, and they showed the footage, and that's absolutely true. And so you kind of got onto his side about, okay, maybe maybe that's something that was just done. But Isaiah Thomas has such a punchable face; it's hard to be on his side. Man, all right, wow! It's, it, it's good though that someone. I appreciate that, Jeff. That someone who is so eminently punchable in your mind, you still can find some room for em- empathy because the argument holds water. He, so he, what the heck? The everybody, uh, I think Michael Jordan himself said, you know, when they beat the Celtics, every the Celtics stayed on and shook, shook their hands. And Isaiah Thomas in that episode of The Last Dance said, no, 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 watch that footage. And they show the footage, and those guys bailed. He ran over and grabbed Kevin McHale, who very annoying annoyed turned around and shook his hand and then bailed what we talk about well punch. kareem magic and bird he feels were better than michael jordan in terms of who he played against he's so wrong that's pretty funny he's wrong huh it's, well and again well, remember I mean, when isaiah sorry when isaiah was at in his prime those guys were more in their prime 
And yeah. when, and when he was sort of leaving the game, it's when Michael sort of came on. So in that sense, you can, in terms of him playing against it, I guess that could be true. Right. And and and, and again, what best player is it? Uh, the the player that you played against who gave you the most difficulty? Because, Mark, we always had those great questions when we would interview a major league pitcher. Who, who's a, a great, great hitter that you owned, and who's a guy who just gave you trouble for whatever right. reason? So Isaiah may be, approaching it, may be approaching it by, you know, these are the guys I, you know, I felt we had more difficulty with. But again, it's kind of making my point, the Isaiah thing, where, you know, they the Celtics didn't shake hands. So how do, how do you feel you paid all this price for it? I, you know, Isaiah's a little prickly. I think he is. About, there's you know, no doubt about it. And I mean, a lot of those A-type personalities and, and, and uh, e- ego driven guys like that. But uh, <laughs> I just thought that was a weird, you know, for Isaiah this many years later to be. So what's it like to be ego driven and a D personality like you and me? You know, we're, we're, we're nowhere near A. We're barely no. into B, although you're doing a little bit better with all the yard work that you've been you know, forced. I mean, are doing willingly. <laughs> and um, so, you know, D personalities and ego driven. Right. Ain't easy thank, being us, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for crediting me for being a D personality, because I always thought I resided down around you. Uh, hey, you so. know uh, you know who's not at you, who knows who's kind of a solid personality? Both of them, Kevin and Michelle, they are listeners of ours in the U.K., and they sent us a note yesterday, John and Jeff and Derek. They sent us a note from the U.K. saying their morning routine these days, since the U.K. is five hours ahead of us here on the East Coast, is to have listen to after further review during their morning breakfast. And they were so disappointed not to have it Thursday morning, Wednesday's episode. So they immediately wrote to us and asked if everything was okay. They thought perhaps, again, John, that we had yep. collapsed in the gutter. I, 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 and you, I, I would assume you apologized for, uh, for sabotaging the show <laughs> with all of your technical issues. I, uh, I, I, I took uh, full responsibility for you. You know, I, I spoke for you and took full responsibility. So I want to shout out to oh, Kevin and Michelle in the UK who will be listening to us Saturday morning among their uh, English breakfast or perhaps not English breakfast, Ooh. just a just a breakfast in the UK. An old English fry up would be great right now. Um, all right. You know, we we, uh, we usually run behind time, Mark, and we give ourselves a 10 minutes for this opening segment. But the heck with it. Let's move on because we we've got Derek Abbott back and poor Derek came and he gave us all the gr- the only knowledge that we ever put forth on this show. It's true. And, and then due to and then you're due to your inability to uh, to navigate technology. That show was lost. So we welcome back our good friend, Derek Abbott. Derek, thanks for rejoining us. We're going to cover some of the same ground and maybe some different ground. But I do want to start with a question that we were that we discussed the last show and something that has been one of the bigger stories, and that is Jameis Winston moving to New Orleans. We all believe this is a good move, both by if not a little surprising by the Saints because they've just given Taysom Hill, their backup quarterback, a lot of money, but kind of a win win for a one year contract for a guy who has a Huge upside has shown what some of the downside is, but it seems to be a great situation for Jameis. Right. Uh, once again, thank you guys for having me back. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, in, in regards to the Jameis Winston question, um, you know, I think that he's kind of looking at this and he took a lot less money uh, to go with New Orleans. Uh, so it can kind of look like a Teddy Bridgewater type situation where. You know, he goes there, he learns under Drew Brees and Sean Payton, and they're kind of like considered, I mean, he called them the Harvard of the NFL. 
getting a Harvard PhD or whatever. Um, so I think this is kind of like a redshirt year for him. He's going to go. He's going to kind of grow as a player and, and hopefully mature as a player as well and see how those guys operate and then maybe get a contract the next year with another team. Well, also, what t- can ahead, I just John. quickly, Mark, I just want to quickly jump in because something that uh, we didn't talk a lot about is also with the situation they have with Taysom Hill, they have uh, a lot of things they use him for. He's that Swiss Army knife of a player who can do a lot of different things. And Drew Brees is getting up there in age. And I also think it's probably kind of smart, given given Breeze's age and what we've seen from quarterbacks in that age, and how you can how an injury can really set you back takes a lot longer to um, to rehab something that it, it it might be in in addition to everything else a really good insurance policy for them. Yeah, it absolutely can be. Um, you know, this is kind of like a wait and see kind of thing for Jameis. And you know, with Taysom Mill, he's not getting any younger either. I believe he's twenty eight. I mean, he's yeah. he's he's considered old in the NFL standards. I think he's um, older than Jameis. He might be. Right. Yeah, I think, think Jameis is twenty six. So there, you know, New Orleans might be coming up with a situation going, you know, do we want to try and, you know, de- continue to develop Taysom Hill at twenty seven, twenty eight years old? Or do we want to move off of him and maybe stick with Winston to see how he progresses? So I think that they have a lot of questions going forward after Breeze's departure. Well, it's interesting because Teddy Bridgewater has a pretty fat contract right now for Mm -hmm. the Carolina Panthers. And Ryan Tannehill has even a fatter contract with the Tennessee Titans. Now, I know a lot of that money isn't guaranteed, but it's $112 million or something for four years for Tannehill and $68 million or something for Teddy Bridgewater for three years. So Jameis is in a great position, to your point, to to redshirt and perhaps even step in and maybe show some folks some stuff, and then people will be willing to give him a nice contract after the fact. And in the meantime, it's like a Teddy Bridgewater thing, Derek. It's it, you know it's a quarterback that they don't have to reinvent the offense with if Breeze goes down this year, which they sort of would have with uh, with Taysom. I want to ask you about the Packers and all of the hate they've been getting uh, post draft. And, you know, how, how people are sort of sarcastically saying because they picked up a, a wide receiver and free in, uh, you know, in an unrestricted free agent. And they said, wow, you finally picked up a receiver. Whoa. Well, I read something today, Derek, and I don't know if you can verify this or if you've heard this as well, but that they really wanted uh, uh, Brandon Ayuk from uh, ASU. They were re- they really had their eye on him. And when the Niners traded above him uh, to the slot right above the Packers, that they sort of abandoned their idea of continuing to work for a window right now mm-hmm. and decided to go for the future as opposed to, you know, the win now philosophy. Have you heard anything like that? Uh, I have not heard anything like that. I know that um, the, the Brandon IU thing is definitely interesting, but there's so much to unpack with the love and the Rogers thing. Um, and everybody's making the comparison that they're the same. And they're really not the same situation. Green Bay traded up to get love. Rodgers fell into their lap. So it's a right. very different situation. Um, and, you know, from football-wise, it's a scheme versus a structure kind of thing. Rodgers is a secondary, second reaction player, makes plays out of structure, is able to move around in the pocket and then throw a missile 40 yards downfield that nobody's ever seen that before. Well, if you look at where Matt LaFleur has come from, uh, he is he's from the 
Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay tree of having a quarterback that is on time, on rhythm. Think Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo. That's not necessarily what Aaron Rodgers is and what he does. So you can kind of see where they're saying, you know, we, we kind of want to have a guy that may have the same similar traits to Rodgers, where he's got the big arm and everything, but they maybe want to develop him and mold him into their system of precision, passing, hit the five-step through the out route, those kinds of things. And also the contract situation, too. I mean, I, I actually read this on, um, on on Spotrack that they talk about contracts and all the time. So Rodgers would play through 2020 in Green Bay, and he pushes back his $6.8 million roster bonus in 2021 um and then he'll push it to june 1st and allows green bay to trade him post june 1st of 2021 and that saves him 14.3 million dollars in 2021 and 17.2 of dead cap in 2022 so you could see them try and maybe move him which you know of course here comes new england they'll probably swoop in and get him <laughs> and that would be the most bill belichick thing ever but you you can kind of see where they're they might be moving in a different direction culturally and schematically as well uh, we're talking to derek abadie's a Football coach at the Coast Guard Academy, former college football player, college quarterback, I should say, which is so great to get his insight into this. And he's got connections throughout the the NFL. Um, I want to ask you about the, the the guys that were drafted: Burrow, Tua, um, Herbert. Just at first blush, several days after all of this, a week into this, who do you think sits in the best situation right now? Obviously. Two with the injury is, is is one thing. But if you look down the line of those guys, who do you think is sitting in the best situation? I think out of all the guys, the guy that's sitting probably in the best situation is is Herbert. I think San, or Los Angeles Chargers. It's hard. Have, it's very hard. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> all these teams, they move every three weeks. They change uniforms. It's like what? But I think Herbert's in the best situation out of the top quarterbacks that were drafted. Um, they have a good roster. He's got weapons around him and a good, and there's also a quarterback in front of him right now. Um, that is kind of like a Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of guy, Tyrod Taylor, that kind of seems like there's always like three guys in the league that seem to do this every year where they start four games, the beginning of the year. And then the, the, the rookie quarterback takes over. But I think Herbert has a lot better support system around him because this is the team that's only a year or two years removed from being in the AFC championship game um, with Phil. Yeah, and, and I believe last year they won or they lost maybe about like six games by like less than three points. Like they just had the worst luck ever. It was every week was how are the chargers going to lose this week? So I think that that's he's probably got the best situation out of the uh, out of the top guys. I agree. I think the Chargers are are, are kind of poised now. Obviously, Herbert's not necessarily ready to your point, and uh, Taylor, you know, is 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 pretty solid. But he's got a right. winning record. He's got a winning. Tyra Taylor has a winning record as a starting quarterback in the yeah, NFL, and that's not to be uh, scoffed at, frankly. And he wasn't he, Buffalo, the, was he the he quarterback? Took yeah, to the playoffs, uh, and only about three four years ago. And almost beat the Jaguars in that, uh, you know, riveting nine to three game or whatever it was. Yes. Uh, but I, I agree, Derek, by far the Chargers have the most loaded roster. They were, yeah, 12 and four two years ago. But what about the Dolphins? I mean, they are really loading up. You look at their free agency. They took care of every line on the defense and then mm -hmm. bolstered that through the draft and with un unrestricted free agency, bolstered their line through the draft as well. 
I mean, they are loaded, I think, or or getting better and better and better. Do you think maybe not now for Tua, but do you think in two or three years, assuming that he's able to uh, develop the way everyone expects or at least hopes, do you think they could be the team to really look out for in two or three years? Because it seems like they are on an absolutely uh, winning trajectory in terms of how they're putting together their roster. Absolutely. You know, the, the way that Brian Flores has built that team, um, you know, he came from the Belichick coaching tree. Um, he's done a really, really good job. I mean, everybody last year was talking about they might not even win a game. Uh, they ended up, I think, reeling off, what, five wins or so, six wins? I think five uh, out of the last nine, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the culture is definitely there in Miami, and they're going to build around Tua, and then hopefully, you know, he's able to progress with his injury and come along um, with that. You also have to keep in mind who's playing in that division now, or who is not is actually playing in that division anymore, and it's <laughs> yeah. Tom Brady. Yeah. So that division becomes wide open now. you got – um, Sam Darnold with, with the Jets. You have Josh Allen with the Bills. Stidham right now with New England, who don't know what they're going to do depending going forward after this year. So that division is, is wide open for, for Miami to pounce on. Yeah, and I think that they the uh, over-under for them is six wins this year. It just seems like a no-brainer to go with the over on that. Um, you know, uh, Fitzpatrick is one of those guys. He, he's going to win, like, three games uh, with amazing stats, and then he'll go three and seven uh, for his 10-game stint. I want to ask you, Derek, I'm going to put you into a um, offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach position in the NFL. Um, wiping out all uh, – outside influence things like who the starting quarterback is when you get there as a rookie, uh, when a guy gets there as a rookie division, all of that, just blue sky. If you have a guy coming in as a rookie first round draft choice, second round draft choice, a guy who's going to be expected to start, what would you like his trajectory to starting to be? Do you want to get him into games in his rookie season? Um, and I know that's hard because everybody's on a different level, but let's just assume all these guys are, you know, sitting somewhere in the same uh, talent level and, and abilities. Or are, are you a guy who would prefer as a coach to let a guy sit for a little while? I think the red shirt of sitting and waiting and kind of learning is such a great benefit to a lot of young guys that may need it because the difference between a college offense and an NFL offense, at least just terminology wise You know, in college, it might be one word. It might be, you know, blue, right, uh, 56 stick or something like that. Something so simple. And then you get to the NFL and you're running, you know, green, right, slot, spider, two, Y, banana or something (laughs) wild like John Gruden plays, you know. So I think that the terminology and the the slowing down of the game is a big leap. Now, the gap between the two games has really, really closed in the last maybe five years with teams running a lot more RPOs, the run pass options where they can either give it, throw it that you see um, Baltimore has done, and they're tailoring their offense to their quarterbacks. But I think, you know, the most ideal situation would be, okay, you got a guy that is serviceable right now. You don't want to rush a kid in, and then his confidence is shot, or you're just kind of throwing him into the wolves because you see what happens with a guy like Josh Rosen that, I mean, he that that goes back to even his time at UCLA. Of, of problems of multiple coordinators and turnover and then injury. And then you just don't want to lose a kid within the first two years of his, of his career. Me personally, I, I mean, 
if I if, if we when I got to college and I read was supposed to redshirt and I had to go in and play the first game and it felt like I was on the middle of I four trying to dodge, <laughs> dodge North North Dakota line North Dakota State linebackers. Meanwhile, I got their fans yelling at me. Uh, telling me that, you know, I'm far away from Orlando. Um, so it's a lot to take in. Is that, what they, I, is that what they actually said? Hey, you're far away from Orlando. Or was it more no, colorful than that? It was um, Mickey Mouse ain't going to save you here, boy. <laughs> Beautiful. Let's go. You know what? I'm going to golf clap for North Dakota State. Well, well, well done out of them. That's, that's probably that's- why they've won 18,000 consecutive championships. That uh, is true. It's, so, it's it's like playing in a, in, a, in a Tupperware bowl, and you got the music turned all the way up. It's unreal, that atmosphere. Yep, it's that northern – it's not really uh, Pacific Northwest necessarily, but that's that northern thing. They just create – don't they create stadiums that are essentially g- give the home team an advantage. It's a, it's a cheater dome, much oh, like uh, like CenturyLink is. We're I, not I, doing I this. One more question for you, Derek, and I want to know there's a couple of decent cornerbacks still out there. Uh, Logan Ryan, Tennessee, Eli uh, Apple of, uh, well, formerly of Tennessee, and then Eli Apple of, of New Orleans. Pretty, you know, not top tier, but pretty solid, remained unsigned. Uh, do, do you have any idea where those guys would go? What 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 pops out to you as, as a team that may need some secondary help that could uh, come in the form of already proven players? Well, Tennessee has been kind of one team that has been trying to re-up their back end as well. The Eli Apple thing is interesting because, you know, he was in New Orleans and he's kind of bounced around a little bit. When he was with the Giants and then um, he could be a guy that ends up being picked up late uh, later in the summer or something like that. But I think that the way that teams are kind of building their their defenses now, um, they, a lot of guys are, you know, they want to get the front perfect yeah. like San Francisco. San Francisco yeah. might be another team that might go look for a secondary guy. Um, but they're trying to get that front first and to get a pass rush on, you know, guys like Mahomes and that that's really where it is. And then a lot of the times too, where the scheme fit as well, you get um, guys that may struggle in man coverage and the NFL is a lot of man coverage. So if you're a zone coverage corner, you might get exposed in a, in a um, in a system that runs primarily man coverage, um, like some of the guys, like when we talk to the guys with Dallas and some, what they look for is guys that are able to just bump and run, get hands on, and you're just on guys like glue all the way down right. the field. You could predict routes. You're a smart football player. So a lot of the times that guys just kind of fall off if you're a corner, if the if the league kind of just trends away from your style of play. Johnny, you know, I think you and I could have played cornerback for that Bears team because of that front seven. You know, no quarterback had a second with that 85 front seven. And, you know, I think we could have. A few old white guys played in that back end, I think, for that 85 team. Yeah, I think Gary Gary Fensick ran like a 7-3-40, and he was able to play. <laughs> exactly. So that's good. Hey, one more question before we let you go, Derek. And once again, thanks again for jumping in uh, on late notice because we we lost the other show. Uh, You know, Cam Newton is still the big name that's out there. And uh, Ron Rivera at Washington was interviewed, and he basically was noncommittal. He said 
you know, we have everything has to shake out. We have to look at a situation. I would not be opposed to it, but I, it's not something I would commit to. Obviously, he had success with Cam Newton in Carolina. Uh, he's a you know, former MVP, won an NFC championship. He And he's a guy that nobody really seems to have a, uh, you know, you either have a positive or negative view of him. In, in your estimation, where would, can you find what you think would be the best place for him at this point? Well, I think a lot of the things that go into the Cam Newton thing is that one, or do you want to put up with all the other stuff that he occasionally does? You know, he has all these ridiculous outfits and kind of draws attention to himself and everything. Um, because the first thing that would pop up into my mind is New England is maybe, you know, he's kind of a plug and play guy, but you also got to find out if he's healthy from all of his injuries that he's had. Um, do you want to commit your offense and your organization? And, and change what you do schematically to fit Cam Newton. Um, and then, you, like I said, you just got to find out where he is physically um, and how much, you know, tread is left on his tires. But, yeah, I, I've, heard, I've heard New England. That's, that's kind of like the rumor, but I, I don't know because New England didn't even draft a quarterback. They just seemed fine with Stidham. So he could be a guy that, you know, someone gets hurt. Somehow in a virtual OTA, I don't. Know. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know that's close their, close their laptop on their finger and they're out for four weeks with a broken <laughs> finger, and we get a signed Cam. It's a really good point though, because a lot of these guys, like these veteran quarterbacks, veteran players in general, who don't want to go to training camp. Let's just be honest; none of them want to go anyway. But a lot of them slot in, in uh, because guys get hurt at uh, uh, in the off-season workout stuff when when teams are meeting. Guys get hurt or very very early in training camp, and now that we're obviously we, we don't have a lot of OTA stuff and training camp may be shortened preseason may be shortened so a guy like um, Cam Newton may sit on the shelf a little longer than he would otherwise which you know there's got to be some if if the Patriots end up with Cam Newton and it works uh you know they, and they have history of guys Corey Dillon is a guy Randy Moss who people had mm-hmm. issues with them outside but they bought in and were very, very successful. So, interesting story. Cam's going to end your, up somewhere. And to your point, too, it was such a heavy quarterback market this year. Like, everybody was waiting, waiting for the big domino and Brady to fall. And then you had guys in the draft. So, there's more quarterbacks than there are jobs, which right. the, the market has is not depressed. happened in a very yeah, which has not happened in a very long time. <laughs> you know, J- Jameis signing for a million bucks is an example of how depressed the market is. I mean, I'd go, I'd go sit behind Drew Brees and sit in a quarterback meeting for a million bucks. <laughs> I would like to say, for the record, I would do it for a tenth of that. If the if they would like to bring me into the quarterback room for a hundred grand, uh, I'm I'm your Huckleberry. I've played quarterback since I was nine. But honestly, how, how difficult? <laughs> how difficult can it really be? Uh, Derek, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I'm sure we're going to have you back in the off season and and hopefully at a point uh, when. We, we, we get down to actually playing some football. God only knows when that'll be. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Derek. All right. Outstanding stuff. And it's just Always. it's it's just interesting. The quarterback thing to that point, boy, there's a glut of talent out there. there and is. and I'm a guy like Andy Dalton, too, perhaps to the Patriots as well. So, well, that's the one that really makes sense to a lot of people because he just seems like a guy who'll come in there. Now, he's not as talented as Cam Newton. There's no way you would argue that he is. But it'll be interesting to see uh, the Bengals. I guess he asked for his release and just got uh, released yesterday. All right, Mark, you made you made a point to me seconds into moving in that I, I had uh, I had dropped the ball on our progressive trivia. So we'll uh, we'll reslot it in uh, and and we'll we'll get all of those out there because this is I believe this to be a difficult one. 
So okay. we're going to see how everybody does. Look for an NFL football player, past or present. Uh, and we're going to tell you in the first clues that it, that's that's past. Uh, I was a fourth-round draft choice. I spent 12 years in the National Football League. My career stats, over 25,000 yards passing, over 150 touchdowns. As always, Mark, we can't tell them the actual clues because they'll just Google it. Right. Um, and as always, we do want to let you know that when I say over 150 touchdowns in his career, that doesn't mean 300. And it doesn't right. mean you know, it, we try to keep that because, again, we you'll Google the actual number. Try to keep that within a reasonable, yeah. you know, you if you heard the number. And then I would guess you, between 150 and 180. That's what I would guess. OK, fair enough. Fair enough. And you, and you would be correct in that. Um, I was drafted by the Minnesota Twins. Ooh. In Major League Baseball. That's and a fun I, one. And I played with Mike Curtis and Calvin Hill. Uh, okay, that's nice. That gives us a little... Uh, era? It give, gives us a little bit of an era there. Yes, and Mike Curtis, by the way, just passed away recently. The great linebacker, Mike Curtis. So we, you know, want to send out to, uh, our condolences because he was an animal. And that was his nickname, the animal. So we're talking uh, 12 years, over 25,000 yards, over 150 mm-hmm. touchdowns. Fourth mm-hmm. rounder, mm-hmm. played in the you know sixties seventies era, ish, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps, and um, uh, that's about it. And he was also drafted by the Twins, which is fun. Drafted by the Minnesota Twins, absolutely. That is our progressive trivia. We'll have uh, more clues coming up in a minute. Now we want to move to baseball because we didn't have a chance to talk about this the the the, the Phantom last show, Mark. Major League Baseball is starting to put out a number of different um, ideas for how they can start playing again. It, it seems as though no, no, we won't see anything until at the earliest, early July, probably later than that. But uh, I want to talk about the one scenario that I mentioned before, Mark, which is playing a round-robin tournament over a two-month period, uh, essentially – September and October and then a November World Series or mid-September, you know, depending on when we get started. I don't think this would necessarily be good for baseball because it's a sport that a lot of either casual fans or people who haven't uh, gotten into baseball talk about, you know, the season's too long, games don't mean anything. And if we throw this out there where every game means anything, I'm a baseball fan. I wanted to go back to 162 games. But good Lord, would that be fun just once? Well, and, and you know, baseball is we, – we keep talking about how people say baseball is dying because of the national overnight ratings. Their attendance has sort of never been higher. Yeah, it fluctuates from year to year, maybe by a couple of – maybe by ten or 20,000 out of millions and millions. But a lot of people come to the ballpark, and there's so many ways to watch a game, so many platforms. Baseball is awash in money, at least has been, which is why they've done – They've been able to renegotiate their collective bargaining agreements whilst still in the middle of the previous ones, which is unheard of in most sports leagues, especially baseball. Having said that, you're right. If it's a two-month tournament, sort of a combination, if you ask me, between March Madness and the World Cup, because right. there, there'll be like groups that you have to get out of first, you know, your division. And there'll be a loser's, there's a loser's bracket, so you're not, you have a, you know. Right, it, where you not only you have a chance to get back into the winner's bracket from the right, loser's bracket, right. which is and a I lot wanna, of fun. Let me just stop you there for a second and let people know. I'll go ahead and put the Jeff Passan article up that has all of these breakdowns on the After Further Review page, and we'll also copy it to both of our Facebook page because it's it, there's a lot to unpack. We're not going to get to all of it, but it's very, very interesting stuff. 
And uh, it, yeah, it's very, very interesting. And, and it involves, you know, the yeah, there's five divisions and they start with the hub and, and it and it's a lot of fun. And, it, and it's essentially a large round robin. But every team plays at least 24 games, John. And it's two months worth of baseball that I think baseball could reestablish having a national overnight rating because every game is important. There is there is it, it is might as well be like game five of a series every time anyone plays. Right. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you agree with me, though, that this might give fuel to the fire of those baseball people who are like, ah, oh, it's too long. It's too long. Look at how great it was. Because I know a number of years ago, if you remember correctly, and I, you'll know the year and I won't, when the NBA truncated their season due to, due to work stoppage, and it was a shorter season, a lot of us were dialing to a lot more regular season NBA games because they right. did meet something. Yeah, 99 was that. 81 was the strike shortened year in, in baseball where they had two separate seasons and missed about 50 games. So there was a lot of talk then as well. And there'll be a lot of talk, but this is such a different scenario that is such a one-off. Just by definition, it's a one-off. Anytime you invoke March Madness and the World Cup when talking about baseball, you know that this is a sort of once-in-a-lifetime, certainly once-in-a-generation, my favorite phrase, um, situation. And I think it'll bring up people saying, wow, it's amazing that baseball can do this. And there'll be some talk about shortening the season, of course. But to my earlier point, they are making plenty of money with this long season and all these complaints about how long the game is. There's still a wash in money. So I think the players and the owners probably will uh, push back against it because both. And, and that's, that's the real point is all of their livelihoods from the ownership to the employees of the team, to the players themselves, Money is on the line right now, and that's why these plans are being floated, because May 31st is when everything gets truncated. Everyone right. stops getting paid, essentially, including right. the players. Right. And some of the uh, again, I will put the uh, the article up. It's a good article. And there are a lot of different scenarios out there as well. You would imagine because uh, we're, we're still in a real state of flux. But uh, breaking the uh, breaking baseball down into three 10 team divisions playing hub games in uh, Arizona, Florida and Texas. Georgia has been floated as they're opening. There are a couple of other states that are opening up and then eventually getting to the point where you're not just playing in those neutral site games, but as states open up, being able to play in uh, in in the actual stadiums that uh, that the teams play in. But I I just think I I tell you, uh, executives for sports right now, Mark, are earning their money like they've never earned it before. I agree. I agree. And it's giving sports writers something to write about, and it's giving us something to talk about. And it's, I think, healthy in the sense that it's an optimistic viewpoint. You know, that's the name of the the basic name of the article. Is there a reason for optimism in Major League Baseball? And that's always nice in a time like this where there is so much uncertainty. And it's easy as humans when you're in a void and when you're in a you know abstract uncertain time perhaps looking into the abyss i mean i know i go there right away and i i know you do too it's easy it's easy to think negatively about things and assume the worst and to your point john these people are working overtime yeah. to try and find a way to get things done i just got a whole thing from southwest i fly southwest a lot and I got a whole thing with him about a list of everything they are doing, you know, right. hermetically sealing the airplane and uh, cleaning it down sort of every 10 seconds with, you know, 
Hy- you know hydrochlor- me, hydrochloroquine, I believe, is what they spray into the air. And you know and- me, I buy whatever's cheapest. So whatever cheapest airlines, and I've gotten emails from them saying you're on oh. your own. That's pretty much <laughs> exactly it. Allegiant, man. Stop, leave them alone. They might they might advertise. That's why I didn't sure. say anything. Good Lord, we sure. lost Allegiant. <laughs> I've had nothing but success with them. By the way, our progressive trivia, three guesses from Mark uh, Ferrer. It's not Billy Kilmer, Roger Staubach, nor Dan Pastorini. All Though, right. Interestingly, the Dan Pastorini, when I started looking at his uh, at, at his uh, career, because he's a guy who was, you know, we saw a lot of Dan Pastorini and he's kind of a law. He's a loss to history guy that maybe we no need to doubt about at, it. No at, doubt about at it. some point in time. Well, these things are all interesting. Also, I should bring up uh, recently uh, college football now talking about how. Uh, some conferences may play, some conferences may not play. The uh, uh, the head of the, the Southeastern Conference saying, you know, it, just floating these things out there because their trial balloons are being floated out. Would it be possible to play if some of our schools are ready to go and others aren't? Uh, so uh, that that's another one that uh, I, I think over the next probably four to six weeks, we're going to start seeing more and more of these scenarios floated in all of the sports. And uh, I think we'll bring back uh, Derek Abbott for some of those discussions because he was the quarterback for Robert Morris wearing his uh, sweatshirt today, by the way. Good looking, uh, good looking sweatshirt there. Robert Morris uh, is who he quarterbacked for. So he'll have some insight into that as well. I want to mention one more time. I don't know if you've mentioned this, John, because, you know, me, we both actually pay attention about 14 percent of the time to what each other is talking about. But the uh, baseball round robin tournament that we've been talking about would be literally October 1st through Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's right. That's what the How about that scenario? I love that. Right. I just I just love I love the whole idea. And October 1st seems like it's far enough out. October seems like it's semi doable for right. uh for for the economy. The only problem is within 4 weeks of October 1st, you know, it's going to come back. So Right. Yeah. So there are all those and they they've also the you know, they said they can massage that start date and finish date a little bit. I don't think they can play much later. They've talked about if they're playing late into November that those might have to be neutral site games uh, weather-wise. So there's all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, The college football idea of like the Southeastern Conference starting with fewer teams, just some weird stuff out there. Uh, SEC doesn't want to play in the spring. There are some leagues that have said maybe spring football is a possibility for them. So we, we may have literally the longest college football season ever. And well, not a true I, national champion. And I'm wondering, part of the SEC problem, John, is not the SEC teams being ready, but the uh, plethora of cupcakes they play throughout the season not being ready because those are smaller schools, may have a tougher time getting online. You know, they play Louisiana Tech School by the sea for nuns. I mean, again, I think Alabama plays them twice. Again, if you have a nun school, why did you purchase... You or want why to, are you leasing that expensive real estate nor, near the shore? It makes no it, sense it to me. It does. You want them to, you know, just constantly meditate on the glory of God, John. Oh. I mean, I know you I know you think it's a big fairy tale, but, you know, it's it's a big ocean. Know. It's got there somehow. I'm, I'm just – the fiscal irresponsibility of a nun school getting – I don't know. That's maybe, maybe it's just me. All right, let's – Again, the Catholic Church has a lot of money to throw away, John. That's a good point. It, it's, a, it's a very good point point and then that's that's non-taxed uh, real estate so there you go excellent mark we've cut to we've cut to that as to why non-colleges uh, are all in this really expensive real estate when i just didn't think it was necessary all right let's move back to our progress 
<laughs> progressive trivia as I knock the microphone over. Uh, we are looking again for an NFL football player from the past. I'll give you the first clues. Fourth round draft choice. Spent 12 years in the NFL. Career stats over 25,000 yards, over 150 touchdowns. Drafted by the Minnesota Twins as well. All right. Here are your next clues. Multiple Pro Bowler. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I threw in the Mike Curtis Calvin Hill one uh, that I uh, forgot. Plus, played with Mike Curtis and Calvin Hill. I had to move these around. I came up with so many. All right. Multiple Pro Bowls. 11 postseason touchdown passes. Played my whole career for one NFL team. And played for multiple professional leagues. Once again, multiple Pro Bowls, 11 postseason touchdown passes, whole career for one NFL team, but played for multiple professional leagues. Wow, interesting. Well, I'm wondering if that's a bit of a trick question in the sense that if he played for the AFL, because that timeline would... Uh, always a possibility would 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 bring that to to the fore as a possibility. And that's a definite I mean, that's a different professional league than the National Football League. Just by definition, it it is. Yes, it is. And multiple can mean only two. Perhaps the World Football League late late in the person's career. U.S. Good stuff, Johnny. I like this one. Yeah. Or USFL, which is as well. Early 80s. Yeah, I thought I thought this I thought this was a a very, very fun one. All right. uh, So you ruminate on that one. And we will now move on to our This Day in Sports History. May 1st, Mark Ferreira, May 1st of any year in NFL history. And we have a couple of, uh, of really interesting things. First of all, in this day in 1994, I'll cover the ones we're just going to jump, jump into and speak briefly about. In this day in 1994, the great Formula One racer, Ayrton Senna, was killed in a rash in a crash at the uh, San Marino Grand Prix. A lot of people, Mark, I'm sure, who are not uh, fans of Formula One don't realize what a big thing this was. This is the equivalent of Kobe Bryant losing his life at the prime of his career. The loss of Ayrton Senna. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know anything about him. I don't know much about Formula One, but it's it's almost like Kobe getting, you know, killed in the game though you yes know I mean? it would have been it, yeah it was during it was during a race in the san marino uh, grand prix and uh senna who was uh, multiple world championships uh was considered at the time the best driver in formula one uh killed during a race so yeah it would have been the equivalent of that so uh, it's just if you wrap your head around it and formula one is one of the most popular sports uh in the world it's not as popular here in the united states we hadn't added a U.S. Grand Prix for a long time until they built a really great complex down in Austin, Texas, and now have a U.S. Grand Prix. But can you imagine Tom Brady at the top of his career? You could look at, you know, I, I read a story actually recently. You think that this is like far-fetched. I was reading a story uh, just this morning, in fact, on ESPN about Alex Smith and his injury. And the fact that Alex Smith, there was a point in time, and Alex Smith certainly wasn't considered the best quarterback or anything, but he was a successful NFL quarterback, start of the NFL. There was a time during uh, his um, er, the early days after that injury where his life was actually at risk. And what that would have been like if we'd have lost someone like that due to an injury, it, it's just, it's, it's really hard to wrap your head around. 
It really is. I remember reading about that as well, which was very, very surprising. And and when I read that article or an article that referred to the, those uh, those issues, it also mentioned that he was planning on mounting a comeback. But I think that's probably highly unrealistic at this point in time because Alex Smith is, you know, Aaron Rodgers' age, which is what thirty six or thirty seven right now. Yeah. So. I'm not sure Alex Smith will ever have a career again. Well, and if that uh, at least he's alive. Yes, absolutely. He had a chance of losing his life. And then there was an even better chance that he would have to lose his leg. Um, And uh, it's just it's we're very happy for for Alex Smith that 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 didn't happen, certainly. But if you could just imagine, that's what the Ayrton Senna death was like. One more in 1975. Joe Namath's contract with the Jets expired. And he looked at signing with the World Football League, Mark. As we talked about other leagues a few moments ago, uh, what are your memories of the World Football League? Because uh, our good friend Riley Claremont, uh, who is actually texting me that you need to lose the hat because I think he was watching your uh, he was watching your Facebook live. Uh, he blames the World Football League for the Miami Dolphins not winning more championships. Well, well first of all, let's talk about Riley Claremont texting you about that and not yeah. me. I mean, right. I'm the one he wants to lose the hat. Why in the world would he ask you? I think he figures I have more sway over you than he does. <laughs> I love the hat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Uh, okay. So um, the question again was well, the, world football, of the world it football meant nothing football. to me at the time. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Because, uh, you know, and, it, and it's, it, it goes to who you're rooting for. And at the time, when that came online, which I think was around 1974, 75, mm-hmm. the Niners were horrible, and it didn't matter who left right. uh, their team. I know that some teams were devastated. You know, Riley Claremont's Miami Dolphins. Well, they lost Paul Warfield, Jim Kick, and Larry Zonka. Yeah, that's that's pretty devastating. All three clearly were past their prime, but I would say Kick and Zonka had at least a couple of good years in them. Uh, after that, Warfield had you know played for the Browns prior, I believe, and and then and then the. Uh, the Dolphins, and he had had a long career, but, but yeah, that's those are three major players from that team, three major weapons that that offense had. So for some teams, it was devastating. But I remember really thinking the USFL was much more of a threat. It to was a much NFL, better run league. It had an NFL. opportunity. It, it did. Opportunity. It did have an opportunity. And the World uh, League but, uh, really probably didn't, uh, or the World Football League probably didn't. It wasn't well funded. And, USFL and I was. The, I think the USFL would have would have had a really good chance if they just would have been okay with staying in the spring. And and just about everybody was. There was one owner uh, yep. who who uh, fought against that, and uh, he uh, he I wouldn't say single handedly destroyed the league, but uh, well, watch Small Potatoes, the thirty for thirty on the USFL, and and you'll see. Uh, who the owner of the New Jersey Generals was and why he destroyed that league, which was having success in the spring. And guys who played in that league will talk about the level of talent. It was a, more of a wide-open game. And um, a lot of guys, Jim Kelly among them, who went over there and played and played very well. Steve Young came back and had success in the NFL. Interesting stuff. USFL is a story for another day because that is a uh, that that went south, and I don't think there was any reason that it had to, frankly. All right, finally, this day in sports history, Mark. On the same day in 1991, Nolan Ryan threw his seventh no-hitter, which is the most in Major League history, and Ricky Henderson broke Lou Brock's record of 938 stolen bases. First of all, in the whole history of baseball, the fact that those two records 
could be broken on the same day is ridiculous. Yeah, I can't get over that. That is so much fun. Uh, and what was it for 91? It was number seven, right? Number for, seven. For Nolan Ryan, which is what he finished with, which is, a, for, first of all, just an otherworldly statistic. And then, of course, He Ricky only Anderson. threw 122 pitches in that game. And he yeah. was like, how old was he then, Mark? 78. 78 years old. 83 of those pitches for strikes, by the way. Yeah, no no doubt about it. it just, a, just a remarkable run for Nolan Ryan. And such an interesting story with that guy, too. Because essentially a 500 pitcher. He may actually be an exact 500 pitcher, from, from my understanding. And, um, and, and, and for him to be that dominant at times throughout his entire career because his first no-hitter was, you know, roughly 20 years, not not quite, but at least 15 years before his seventh no-hitter. So he had a stretch of dominance, even though most seasons he finished about 12 and 11, 12 yeah, and 12. He, he was essentially a 500 pitcher, which, uh, you know, people, people would always argue. I think that had a, a lot more to do with. And, uh, and then Ricky, the, you know, I, we all knew that he was going to break the record. And he was a spectacular baseball player. And it wasn't just his stolen base. It was his on-base percentage, just the way he could work a walk. It's the kind of base running he had, the kind of batter he was. He found a way to get on base. He found a way to score runs, which is what you want to do in Major League Baseball. He was a great player, which is why the teams that had him did so well. And he was, you know, he often was on winning teams. And, um, he was a big factor of that, but boy, oh boy, I'll always remember, because I loved Lou Brock, I'll always remember, and that's the record he broke, him just putting that base over his head. It's like, what are you what are you doing? And I normally don't care about celebrations or things like that. I, I kind of roll my eyes when people, for instance, Cam Newton, you know, he does a weird thing, or Terrell Owens, or wh- whatever it is. I, I roll my eyes, like, with people who have a problem with that, I'm full of judgment with those people, as always, Yeah, but... For whatever reason, that hit me. Like, yeah, what I wonder are you why. Doing? I don't why because it's like, first of all, you're taking the base. It's so bizarre. Like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Or, or at least just take the base to the to the dugout. And I get that it's a game ball, it's a game base, whatever it is. I get that part of it. But to throw it over your head and say I am the greatest, it's like. Ah. I don't know. I, it's weird that that because I had no. Uh, Jeff, you're a baseball fan. Did that bother you at all? Not at all. Ricky yeah, picks I, I up bases. Really yeah, I just, I, 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 it's, it's odd to me, and we'll have to at some point just have a show where we just delve into your psychology. But it, it's odd to me that that one bothered you, that bothered you so much because I, I would have thought, you know, if Lou Brock had been a giant, you know, if it was something like that, and yeah. I, and I, I enjoyed Lou Brock as well. I mean, you sort of get that you don't want. But uh, it's so so weird that that's the one you picked to be uh, the most bothersome. It, and it wasn't it, even really out of character for Ricky, frankly. I know, but to say, you know, it, it just seemed like it minimized Lou Brock. And it seemed it's one thing to, 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 to celebrate and it's a one thing to kind of pound your chest. You know, but I am the greatest. You know, that's reserved for, you know, Muhammad Ali. And let's move on. And and, and you know, well, he it just sort of break the record. He was yeah, the greatest. Ricky stole base. way he, more bases than Muhammad Ali did. He sure did. Yeah. Muhammad he, Ali was not good on the base pass. He was not. He was not a good base runner. I, that's very, very true. He's <laughs> kind of lumbering, kind of lumbering around the base. Him and Greg Luzinski was you know, kind of a kind of a coin flip to see who would actually get to home. Base I can tell you right now, in, in his prime, uh, Ali would have been a better base runner than Greg Luzinski. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I know. 
but uh, I don't know why it bothered me so much. But yeah, he he is there. There is no doubt that he is you know a Hall of Famer, made his teams great as well as was a great player, and uh, it was remarkable. And it's so interesting. You're right, John. It's like some of those National League teams from when I grew up. I have a soft spot for, for some of those players inexplicably, hmm. and uh, like like the Cardinals, I love Bob Gibson and I love right. Lou Brock. Well, and, I think part of it is you get to see those guys because you were rooting for an, uh, a National League team, and I'm more of a National League baseball fan. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah. much prefer that. But I grew up watching the Orioles, so you're probably right. I look back at guys like Carney Lansford and uh, Frank White and guys that played against uh, the Orioles. And I have really soft spots for those guys, even though yeah. I don't like their teams and everything. I don't have a soft spot for the, the Royals at that point, but I did sort of like the Angels and the A's, which Lansford played for. But I get that. You see, I think baseball is a game where the more you see somebody, the more appreciation you have for them. Right. And Brock was, you know, spectacular. And what he what he was able to do with that team, talk about a spark plug. And that's what exactly what Henderson was. You know, the leadoff guy, you know, putting pressure on that defense. Getting yep. a guy on base, basically the odds are good that it's if, if he gets on first, it's a double. It's money ball. Might as well be a double. But it's money ball. What do we want, guys? We want guys who get on base. We don't care how they get there or anything. Yep. You get guys on base, and more often than not, if you put a lot of guys on base, you're going to win a lot more baseball games. All right, let's uh, let's roll out of this. That was, that was a good one. And the fact, again, boy, talk about your kismet. The fact that those two records were broken on the same day. Is is just remarkable. Yeah, I agree. It's my second, maybe my second favorite baseball um, statistic slash uh, interesting fact. Uh, We may get to the other one at some point, but we're not going to do it now because I want to throw out another progressive trivia. I know this isn't in the rundown this way, but I missed the first one, so I want to show throw out our next uh, trivia clues. Uh, Should be pointed out, Mark Ferrer has guessed it. Finally, Mark did get it on, I believe, his fifth. Yes. I believe it was my fifth guess. Fifth guess, and you did get it. So I feel good about that because it took you five guesses to get it. Yep, you uh, should. And, it's a good all one. All right. So here are our next uh, – I'll give you, the, give you the old ones. Fourth-round draft choice, 12 years in the NFL, over 25,000 yards, passing over 150 touchdowns, uh, played with Mike Curtis and Calvin Hill, drafted by the Minnesota Twins, played his whole career for one NFL team, 11 postseason touchdown passes, Played for multiple professional leagues. All right, moving on. Our newest clues. Won three times more playoff games than I lost in my career. Former NFL MVP. Won a Super Bowl. Never played for the team that drafted me. Never played a down for that team. So whole career for one team, but it wasn't the team that drafted him. Fun. Yeah, I, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting interesting progressive trivia. I agree. All right, our poll question uh, last week uh, was most underrated player of all time. Let's go ahead and go to our voice memos and hear what you, the listeners of After Further Review, thought about that most underrated player of all time. Hey guys, Lenny here. Question today, most underrated, is kind of a little tough for me, but I'm going to go with a guy who I saw play probably about 50 years ago in Pittsburgh at the Dapper Dan Romball Classic, the predecessor to the McDonald's All-American game. This gentleman ended up becoming an NBA Hall of Famer, a 12-time All-Star. He averaged a double-double for his NBA career. He's not named Chamberlain, Russell, Jabbar, or O'Neal. His name is Moses Malone, one of the true great big men in the NBA history. 
Stay safe. Have a great day. And John, most underrated player. Well, maybe not for all time. I'm just going to keep it because I'm a Cubs fan to the 2016 World Series. Most underrated uh, player was Jason Hayward. I think he was like, he was he was three for 20, but we would not have won that World Series without his pep talk during the rain delay. All right, thank you. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Hey guys, uh, I think the most underrated player of all time is going to have to be Derek Jeter from the New York Yankees. Uh, so Derek was... <laughs> Just kidding. There's no defense for that. Uh, no. Um, I think the the Last Dance documentary is making me realize how underrated Dennis Rodman has been his entire career. Now, I know that he's a Hall of Famer, so how can I say a Hall of Famer is underrated? But I think... What I mean by this is that there's always been this perception that Michael Jordan was kind of this demigod of basketball, right? He could hit like 50, 60 points a game. He could play defense. He could do kind of anything he wanted with you. Well, now it's making you realize how much he really needed this supporting cast around him to win games, especially in that last repeat they did. I really think that's building up Dennis Rodman's stock as a player. Uh, also to say that Dennis Rodman had won two championships without Michael Jordan and then goes and joins Michael to win three championships. And you could argue, and, and the documentary certainly is making that argument, that it was because of the Pistons and their approach to basketball that kind of taught Michael how to win. And Dennis was on that team. So you could argue that Dennis Rodman was one of the reasons Michael Jordan even became Michael Jordan uh, now because of this documentary. And I, like I said, I definitely think that this last dance series is doing kind of more for dennis rodman's stock as a hall of famer than it is for michael's i think it's starting to make michael look a little more human than we remembered uh and i'm starting to kind of revisit and i know it's ridiculous but i'm starting to kind of revisit this lebron james michael jordan argument being like well when i look at the supporting cast that michael had throughout his entire career and the supporting cast lebron has had certainly can make a, an argument as to which player is better but um yeah dennis rodman that's my talking points cheers boys hey johnny yeah i have to say dane uh becker who we love and who right. will be the future host of after further review it sounded like he was mowing his lawn he somebody was mowing his man. lawn outside of his house because he sent me a message after he left he goes i'm so sorry the lawnmower that was going on out there but he was uh, he was running late getting it in, wanted to make sure that he got it in. So he's either having a lawn service mowing his lawn, uh, or uh, someone else in the neighborhood mowing the lawn. Well, uh, I love I, so that that's great. We 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 talked about a lot of this. It's interesting. We're revisiting all of this that we did on Wednesday, and it seems like we're uh, revisiting it, but we're not in terms of our listeners. Uh, we went on and on about Rodman and about what he did. I think it's a great point about uh, bringing the Detroit piston mentality mm -hmm. to the bulls now that was the second run it wasn't the first run chicago had already won three by the time he got there right but i think uh i think he is a bit underrated in well, terms of that think, team there's no doubt about think, it and don't you think the character that dennis rodman became is, is one of those reasons we think of him sure. a little bit as a clown but i i had uh i've had a number of basketball players including scotty pippen when we interviewed him talked about what a hardworking guy Rodman was and the mentality that he brought. Right. Uh, so I think that I think that's his really, really good argument. I mean, defense and rebounds essentially is is effort and will. Yep. You've, you've got to have some skill, obviously, but it's truly effort. 
How much effort are you going to expend? How much do you want that ball? How much are you willing to get in someone's face? And it and it's literally energy. And Rodman had that to spare. There's no doubt about it. We went back and forth with Jeff in terms of LeBron and what he didn't have, and what uh, what Michael did have. Certainly in that last three Pete when he had two Hall of Famers around him and a Hall and the sort of the all time, well, one and one A. You know, Phil Phil Jackson and. And Eric Spolstra. (laughs) (laughs) I stand by that. Time's going to tell on Spolstra. (laughs) One one and one A. He keeps making the playoffs. He keeps making the playoffs. They have not had a number one overall pick since LeBron left. Just saying. All right. Fair enough. But, you know, uh, you bring up a good point with the effort thing, Mark, too, because, uh, you know, shooting people points and shooting. You can other guys on your team can really, really help you if you're not a guy who creates his own shots uh, off of any number of offensive sets, blah, blah, blah. The point is nobody's really going to help you rebound or play defense. That's your job. Yeah. And you that requires nothing. It's completely an effortful thing. And you have to be, you know, Rodman, they talked about Rodman was really, really good when a ball was in the air, being able to decide, here's where I need to be. And, he, you know, the, a lot of brought a lot of skills. But you're right. He deserves a lot of credit for effort. Uh, I want to jump to Moses Malone uh, yeah. just for a second, because he's a guy who gets lost and was a nightmare. Um, he did. Uh, we, we were talking about it in the last show about uh, moving on from uh, high school to the pros. He did. He didn't move straight into the NBA. He moved in the ABA as we talk about other okay. leagues. The okay. ABA, which was, uh, you know, do your homework on the ABA, folks. That Boy, talk about something that was really interesting and doesn't get really enough time. I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm sure there is one, but a really good documentary on the ABA because a lot of guys, uh, Dr. J, a lot of guys started in the ABA. Well, well and you mentioned Dr. J, Johnny. It, it's like, what do we know what NBA team benefited more from the folding of the ABA than the Philadelphia 76ers? Exactly. It, Dr. J and Moses Malone? Yep, yep. I mean, that those two guys are a huge reason why they won the 1983 or 1982-83 uh, NBA championship. So, yeah, Moses Malone, you're right. Averages a double-double. Averages, yeah. you know, that's just, yeah, he was exactly. tremendous. Yeah, he was. And and we'll shout out to my good friend David Lowe, who's a huge Cubs fan uh, with, uh, with the Jason Hayward. But it brings up, uh, it, it also brings up another point, Mark, is that guys are we rate guys for statistical things. But there are a lot of other things that we bring to uh, that guys bring to the table that may not show up on on a stat sheet. And, uh, you know, Jason Hayward taking a leadership role in that situation is certainly one of I'm a fan of Jason Hayward because he's former brave and got to announce his name. Uh, quite a bit. So shout out to that. Also, the names that we came up with, Robert Ori. Now, there's a guy who does show up on the shot sheet, but never is thought of, Mark, as a, a great, great player. Uh, he just basically hit big shot. When his nickname was Big Shot Bob. Big shot after big shot for different teams and won a bunch of championships because of it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, he is someone who I think correctly gets Hall of Fame consideration sort of yeah. every year. I think he won championships. I think he won five championships with three different teams, some, something along those lines. And it was always because he was massively clutch in the playoffs, game-winning shots from about 75 feet out. It was a remarkable was run crazy. he had. And a guy who played center in college, he was a center at Alabama, Robert Ory. And then he just <laughs> became this amazing wing player. 
in the uh, in the NBA. Could do a lot of different things, but boy, hit the big shots. And we see that Jeff sent along six underrated uh, NBA coaches. A story for Basketball Insiders. We will get into this after the show, just, Jeff. And just I'm look at the picture. It. Just look at the yeah, picture. I know it's Spolstra. Spolstra <laughs> well, in the and, picture. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you that Spolstra is underrated. I'll give you that, Jeff. I will ab- absolutely give you that he's underrated and that he's a he's a he's a hell of a head coach and has done a lot with next to nothing. But unlike LeBron James, who had no one in that Cleveland Cavaliers team, went to a finals with no one around him. You know, Spolstra hasn't even sniffed even the conference championship games uh, or, or the conference finals. So I think he's underrated, but I don't think he's in the same league here's, as a Phil Jackson. Here's but that's the thing. okay. I'm going to go from here on. It's one, Phil Jackson one and Eric Spolstra one A. Okay, thank you. I'll right. take it. Fair enough. He's won. Yeah. You, you won. Declare, and, declare victory and depart the field. Yes. Gone. Uh, we got Curtis Martin as well, who's a Hall of Famer. Yep. Uh, but I still think underrated somehow, yep. and that's so interesting. Jim, Jim Kelly as well, Hall of Famer, underrated because he didn't win. Right. Uh, mine is Jim Plunkett. He should be a Hall of Famer, if you ask me. But he won championships. Two, yeah, two. He quarterbacked two Super Bowl winning teams and was an MVP in one of those. And Tom Brady, before Tom Brady, uh, in this respect, is that he in 1980 he wasn't supposed to be the starting quarterback for those Raiders. He was he was their insurance policy. And Dan Pastorini, the aforementioned Dan Pastorini, broke yeah. his leg. Yeah. So I mean, eight, you know. Yeah. That was that remarkable. 1980 season is is an amazing one for the for the Oakland Raiders, if if you go back and do that. So yeah, that poll question is very interesting. Now, who's who's your underrated guy, Johnny? Gary Bradshaw. Oh, that's right. Yeah, four four championships. Yeah, uh, I love you that know, people one. who thinks that he was think that he was just a system guy. He wasn't actually worked outside. With Derek Abbott talked earlier about guys who work off schedule. He could work off schedule and did to much to the chagrin of his head coach uh, many times. Uh, he hard nosed guy, he, tough, and uh, just a cannon for an arm. Uh, had to overcome a lot to. He, he didn't wasn't hand, even as the overall number one pick. Mark wasn't handed the starting job. They tried to take it away from him a number of times. Joe Gilliam had it. He got injured, and that's why um, uh, Bradshaw got back in. Terry Hanratty had that gig. Who, by the way, uh, in college was the. Uh, Starting quarterback before our progressive trivia uh, guy, he yes, actually he was. He replaced and, Hanratty when he got injured, uh, yep. so maybe maybe that'll help some people out. But uh, I just I don't think he's never Terry Bradshaw's never mentioned in those greatest quarterbacks. You always hear the same. It's Brady, it's Montana, it's Elway, it's Marino, it's uh, you know if you go back, it's Unitas. Uh, yeah, and, and, but never do you hear about Terry Bradshaw, and I and I frankly think that's wrong. I'm looking at an NFL.com ranking of the top 25 quarterbacks of all time, and the familiar names are up top. He's number 17. He doesn't even make the top 15, and he won four Super Bowls, and he had to overcome so much adversity, to your point. Two different guys who had the job ahead of him, and uh, all kinds of questions about his intelligence and so forth. And one and, of the reasons he didn't put up maybe the huge numbers, he has he, he's also, uh, because he doesn't have some of the huge numbers, that defense was so good, they didn't have to. No, but they, they did when they needed to with Bradshaw. It It is uh, the one thing we did talk about on Wednesday was the fact that he was surrounded by, I believe, 75 different Hall of Famers on yes. that team who came and went. They were they were just such a stacked team. And they but they did. He won four Super Bowls and he's not even considered a top 15 quarterback. And there's another Hall of Famer, John, underrated Hall of Famers. That's just so funny that that ends up the vast majority of the people that we are 
calling and our listeners are calling underrated are actually in the Hall of Fame, which should, by definition, mean they're not underrated. <laughs> right, right. But we agree that they are. But they so. somehow still are. Yes. All right. Good. Good discussion, though. Underrated is a fun discussion. And you can you can uh, look into uh, you can look at a lot of different guys throughout their career. And I think we spent more time. We'll probably revisit this at some point because it is it's a uh, and it was much more enjoyable than uh, than I thought it would be, Mark, because, you know, we did overrated. You thought right. I would enjoy that greatly. Yes. Uh, which being, is more your speed. Right. As a, kind of a negative guy. But all right. So finally, Mark has gotten our progressive trivia. I'll give you all the clues, and then I'll give you a giveaway clue so everybody will get it, and we'll talk about the guy. But he was a fourth-round draft choice, 12 years, over 25,000 yards, over 150 touchdowns, uh, drafted by the Minnesota Twins, played with Mike Curtis and Calvin Hill, played for multiple professional leagues, played his entire NFL career for one team, 11 posts and touchdown passes, multiple Pro Bowls, won three times more playoff games than he lost, was an NFL MVP, never played for the team that drafted him, won a Super Bowl, and the giveaway clue mark was his career ended on Monday Night Football. Yes, 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 and yes, yes. Joe Theismann. Played for the same team that uh, Alex Smith you know, almost lost his life. Well, uh, and here's the interesting, here's the, so another What's up with the Redskins you, protecting their quarterbacks, man? It's, well, you, it's rough. You may not know this, Mark Ferreira, but Joe Theismann had his leg broken on November 18th, 1985. Right. You want to guess the date that Alex Smith got his leg broken? I believe it was uh, November 18th, 2018. It was November 18th, 2018. Compound fracture to your starting quarterback. Same exact injury 33 years to the day later that's crazy it is so 33 years uh you know so in you know 2051 <laughs> whoever's the november, starting quarterback for the redskins on is. november 18th run just, get out the steals yes, just do run not the wild chat for god's sake for the yes. whole game do not play can Hold anybody the, just, just can anybody remember who broke alex smith's leg uh, I didn't remember it, but it's staring me in the face because I, I actually have it. But without no. staring at it, can you remember who broke Joe Theismann's leg? Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, a yes. much and more it was really, famous And it was two people breaking. that broke Smith's leg, but it was Lawrence Taylor. And Lawrence Taylor, boy, showed a lot of humanity uh, in, in that moment for all of his intensity. He knew that it was horrible, a compound fracture, and was calling people over and was yeah. very, very distraught. And Theismann has always said, I don't blame Lawrence Taylor standing there in the pocket and he you know it happens but he but he said uh numerous occasions that lawrence taylor still apologizes to him because of that it's 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 hard to watch um he's he's a top five uh arguably if not top 10 if not top three defensive player of all time oh yeah me lawrence taylor no brainer yeah right and the two houston texans by the way that broke uh Alex Smith's leg or were Kareem Jackson and J.J. Watt. Oh, wow. Okay. There you go. Another reason not to like J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt lost to history. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Well, that's it for 12.2. I think we had a lot of great discussion. Obviously, want to thank our good friend Derek Abbott. No poll question today, Mark. We're going to have another poll question on Monday. We're going to start doing the poll question once a week on Monday. We'll remind you and maybe discuss a little about what we've been hearing through the week on Wednesday, and then we uh, we will unveil the answer on Friday. I like this. 
And you'll hear this. Uh, a lot of people will hear this probably too late for the fact, but we are going to do our progressive trivia. Normally, we've done it six o'clock every night. We're doing it at four today. Uh, so I'm I'm going to leave this show and get busy on that. Even though I'm I'm ready to do it because we're both because both John and I are involved in a play reading tonight. A Zoom play reading of a play that my daughter and her writing partner uh, have penned. And um, and this one, John Pelkey, unlike the first one, which is there, still has life and has been produced on multiple platforms, this one they actually got paid to write. People asked them wow. to write a musical, and they went ahead and did it. It's from a licensing company said, we need this kind of musical. Do it. And they did it. All right. Very nice. I actually did something and made my first money during all of this yesterday. This is the first time it made any money. What did so, you do, Johnny? Did a little uh, did a little video shoot. At someone's house. Ah. Had to leave. Had to go social distance, essentially, at, at a house with some folks who have been, like us, haven't been out and about. And so uh, a little bit of a risk uh, situation there. But it was a kind of a last-minute thing and uh, threw a little money at us, uh, both Jody and I, my wife. And so so we did that. So we made I'm our first non uh, we made our first non uh, unemployment payment money uh, for the entire thing yesterday. So it's maybe things are looking up. In over six weeks. So yep. that was certainly a cause for celebration. I'm looking forward to seeing it. What did you do to celebrate the fact that you actually earned money in this quarantine where you've had no work thus far? Well, uh, we what we did was uh, after we did the thing, uh, our, our host was nice enough to uh, offer us a beverage of the adult variety and had some really nice uh, sipping tequila. So I had a little, I had a little sipping tequila and a little toast to the fact that uh, people in in the business, which I again, Mark can't say it anymore. I never thought I would work again in my chosen field. I and actually worked again in my chosen field yesterday. Well done, out of you. Well Thank done, you. out of you. Thank you. And well done, out of you today. And Jeff, as always, well done, out of you. The pod will be up, and uh, we will be back next week to to talk about more and. I guess I think WWE is actually having an event, Mark. So make sure you, you DVR that because it might be something live sporting to talk about. Nope. Okay, fair enough. This has been After Further Review with Mark Burr and John Pelkey, Jeff Taylor on the board as always. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, everybody.